Hello and welcome to In the Past. I'm your host, Kelsey, and each week we look at a person or event from history and delve into it. Please note, while I strive greatly to source information from historical sources and accountable records, occasional mistakes may happen. This podcast is for entertainment. Today we are picking up from where we left off on the life of Eleanor of Aquitaine. If you did not listen to last week's episode, then you should probably go and do that first, and this episode will be here waiting for you when you are ready. But a brief recap from where we ended. Eleanor had just had her first marriage annulled, which is actually different from a divorce. So it was as if Eleanor had never been married in the first place. That marriage didn't exist. Goodbye. Moving on. Eleanor had just spent 12 years married to the King of France, but he needed an heir to the throne, so he and Eleanor parted ways. Eleanor hasn't been single for very long when a plot to have her kidnapped results in her searching for a new husband and she found one very quickly in Henry of Anjou. I was unable to find out much about their relationship prior to marriage. It was said that the couple found each other attractive, and Eleanor needed the protection of a husband. So, in a nutshell, they were wed. And with that, let's dive into this week's episode. Eleanor and Henry were married on May 18, 1152, just eight weeks after her first marriage was annulled. Eleanor had not only married without seeking counsel from Louis, but she had married one of her ex-husband's biggest threats, made bigger still with Henry's acquisition of Eleanor's lands. Henry now held possession over more French territory than Louis. A funny fact, Eleanor and Henry were actually second cousins, so she was closer related to her new husband than she was her second husband. Together, Henry and Eleanor's lands stretched from the border of Scotland, down through the western side of France and Normandy, stopping at the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains. Eleanor was now 29, and Henry was only 18. The pair were both headstrong and could be stubborn, and while they loved each other, they argued often. Henry was not the quiet and pensive type like her first husband, Louis. Eleanor could not influence Henry. And Eleanor could not easily influence Henry, and he wasn't likely to have his mind swayed by a pretty face. On August 17, 1153, Eleanor gave birth to her first child with Henry in Normandy. And it was a boy, an heir, and his name was William. On December 19, 1154, Henry was crowned King Henry II of England at Westminster Abbey. Henry's reign marks the beginning of the Plantagenet line of kings of England. They would rule until 1485 when the War of the Roses ended with the death of Richard III and Henry Tudor being crowned king. Henry II set about to improve his new kingdom. He cared deeply about justice and made it a point to immediately begin to improve the justice system within England. Henry did well too. By the second year of his reign, he had brought order and peace to a previously chaotic and lawless kingdom and his hard work would give England relative peace for the next two decades. Henry and Eleanor's second son, also named Henry, was born on February 28, 1155. Eleanor and Henry would have eight children in all, five sons and three daughters. They were William, who died when he was three, Henry, Richard, Geoffrey, John, Matilda, Eleanor, and Joan. Eleanor is not widely mentioned by chroniclers of Henry's reign, with the exception of when she delivered a child, or that when she was by her husband's side. 
She did, however, attend to administrative matters in Henry's absence. Henry was a king of the medieval period and required to travel extensively to deal with the matters of realms hands-on. England had no parliament, and kings effectively had to rule their kingdoms on horseback. While Henry was busy, Eleanor tended to the matters that she could as queen. She approved acts of his she approved acts of his ministers and upheld Henry's policies with rigor. Henry's own mother, Matilda, was a formidable woman in her own right. She was the heir, the female heir to her father, Henry I. England had been thrown into chaos when she attempted to become queen herself. But the powers that be then decided that a man was needed, not a woman. I have to wonder how these two powerful and headstrong women interacted together. Interacted especially since Matilda had worked so hard to, to secure her son's right to the throne, and Henry married a woman with expansive land holdings that could be passed down through her grandchildren. I have to also wonder what the conversations they had must have been like. Henry was not a faithful husband, which is not uncommon for a man of power at this time, and he had a few long-term mistresses. But whatever Eleanor's feelings were on the matter... We do not know, and she did nothing publicly to condemn Henry. She even had one of Henry's illegitimate children legitimized and put in her household. By Christmas 1155, Eleanor was pregnant again. In 1156, both Eleanor and Henry were busy traveling through their kingdom when tragedy struck. Their oldest son, William, died at Wallingford Castle. The exact cause of his death is unknown and Eleanor gave birth to their first daughter, Matilda, shortly after William's death. On September 8, 1157, Eleanor gave birth to their fourth child and third son, Richard. In 1158, their fourth son, Geoffrey, arrived. In 1161, Eleanor gave birth to a daughter whom she named Eleanor, and then another daughter arrived in 1165 named Joan. On September 10, 1167, Eleanor's mother-in-law, Matilda, died at the age of 65. After so many seemingly happy years, Eleanor and Henry's marriage began to show some strain. During the year 1168, Eleanor returned to her childhood home in Poitiers. She took with her her two sons, Richard and Geoffrey. Eleanor was done with pregnancies and child-rearing, and her son Richard was set to become the Duke of Aquitaine, so it makes sense that he should accompany his mother. Here she set up her court of love, where the culture of chivalry was encouraged. It had a large influence on literature, poetry, music, and folklore. And while there's no proof of her court of love actually existing, Eleanor was regardless a patron of the arts and poems were written in her honor. She would remain here until 1173. By 1173... The heir to the English throne, young Henry, as he was called, was 17 years old. He was itching to make a name for himself. But Henry II was a bit of a control freak, and he did not want to relinquish anything that he had to his son. Young Henry was, was angered further when his younger brother John was to be given three of young Henry's castles. Young Henry had had enough of his father so he escaped from his father's control in the dead of night and rode to Paris to be with his father-in-law, who was none other than King Louis VII of France, Eleanor's first husband. 
Not only did young Henry flee to Paris, but so did 15-year-old Richard and 14-year-old Geoffrey. Now, young Henry was old enough to be acting on his own accord, but the two younger boys, Richard and Geoffrey, were both still under the care of their mother, Eleanor. So when they rode off to join their older brother in Paris, it was clear who stood behind her sons, Eleanor. Since returning to her childhood home, it's likely that Eleanor wanted to govern her lands on her own terms and without her husband's name, without her husband's name attached to it. There are a few charters she addressed to her, quote, her own faithful followers, as opposed to the, quote, king's faithful followers and hers, as she usually had done. Sons rising up against their father is a tale as old as time, but a queen rebelling against her husband was something new. Eleanor began her journey back to Paris for the first time in 20 years, but somewhere between Poitiers and Paris, she was captured by Henry's men. Within a year, their rebellion would be at an end, and Eleanor's sons went to their father, asking for his forgiveness. Henry was merciful towards his sons, forgiving them. With Eleanor, he was not. As punishment, she would be imprisoned for the next 16 years in various places throughout England, far away from her home in Aquitaine. Little is known about Eleanor's life while she was imprisoned. But she did not live in squalor. In her stead, Richard, her favorite son, grew and took his mother's place watching over Aquitaine. In 1183, young Henry, Eleanor and Henry II's oldest son, died from dysentery. Before his death, he begged for the release of his mother. Henry obliged his dead son by releasing her, to an extent. She was under guard, but she would occasionally join Henry's household and resume some of her ceremonial duties. She was not permitted to travel as she pleased, and she took orders that Henry and she took the orders that Henry gave her. On July 6, 1189, 56-year-old Henry II died at his fortress in Chinon. Richard rode to Fontevraud to see his father's body. He said nothing as he looked at his father one last time before walking away. At the command of her son Richard, Eleanor was no longer a prisoner. With Henry dead, now her son Richard would inherit the throne, and with it, her power grew again. Her Richard released his mother from her prison, and she helped plan Richard's coronation on September 13, 1189. When Richard was in England, Eleanor was his right hand, and when Richard was gone from English soil on his own crusade, she essentially ruled in his stead. Once again, as with her mother-in-law Matilda, a queen mother with the power to rule for her son seemed acceptable and not a threat. Where Richard was plainly Eleanor's favorite son, her other surviving son, John, had been Henry's favorite. In 1191, John began to discuss with Philip II of France, who was Louis VII's son from his second marriage, the idea of taking back Normandy and Anjou in France. Richard was still gone on crusade, and rumors were swirling that he was actually dead. Eleanor was forced to convince her son not to rebel against his brother. Richard was in fact not dead, but had been captured by the Duke of Austria and handed over to Emperor Henry VI on his return back to England. Eleanor had quelled John for the moment, but now had to turn her attention to raising the money needed to pay Richard's hefty ransom. His brother John and the King Philip II began to counterbid with Richard's captor, attempting to his captors to actually keep him. Finally, on February 4, 1194, 
Richard was released to his mother. Eleanor had raised the money, and Richard was released. Eleanor had raised the money for his ransom, and Richard was released to his mother. Richard kindly forgave his brother John and named him as his named him as his heir. But now Richard had to set off to conquer, reconquer Normandy. Eleanor went to Fontevraud, where she was in close contact with both her sons. Where she was close in close contact with both her sons, Richard and John, and her beloved Aquitaine. She trusted Richard with the rule. She trusted Richard with the rule of it, so she could rest. But her rest would be short-lived. On March 26, 1199, Richard the Lionheart was wounded near Limoges while suppressing a revolt. He had, he had been hit in his left shoulder with an arrow from a crossbow. He tried to remove the arrow himself, but the shaft broke off in his hand. A surgeon removed what Richard could not, but the wound was a nightmare and quickly showed signs of infection. The wound festered and became gangrenous. Richard knew what was going to happen, and he sent for his mother. On April 6, 1199, 41-year-old Richard had died with his mother, Eleanor, at his side. Richard's heart was sent to Rouen, but his body was coming back with Eleanor. Richard's body was laid to rest at the feet of his father. Richard had been married, but his wife had never even set foot in England during their entire marriage. They had been married for eight years, but hardly saw one another. At the time of his death, he hadn't even seen his wife in four years. John's succession as king was not a smooth one. Many favored Arthur, the Duke of Brittany, as the next king because he was Geoffrey's son. Now remember, he had been the older brother of John, so he was between, born between Richard and John. But Geoffrey had died in 1186. It's a tricky claim. Who had the better claim? The youngest son of Henry II or son of John's elder brother? Eleanor backed her son's claim, not her grandson's claim to the English throne. Her son John was then crowned king on May 27, 1199. Three weeks after Richard's death, Eleanor was leaving Aquitaine to help John reclaim Anjou. John needed his mother and her childhood role to secure peace. Eleanor Richard had been Eleanor's successor to Aquitaine, but now that would pass to John. Eleanor, at nearly 80 years old, Eleanor off to fetch one of her granddaughters to marry the Dauphin, heir to the French throne, but this required her to cross the Pyrenees Mountains. Her goal with this move was to ensure peace between Plantagenet and England and the Capetian kings of France. Eleanor was reunited with her daughter Eleanor, whom she hadn't seen in 30 years. Now Eleanor had to choose which granddaughter she would bring back with her for the Dauphin. Eleanor decided on Blanche. The two journeyed back to Bordeaux, where Blanche would continue her journey to Normandy to be wed. Eleanor herself went back to Fontevraud, missing the royal wedding. She was tired and ready to focus on her soul in preparation for that final journey. Eleanor would have two peaceful years before she passed, and on March 31, 1204, Eleanor died at the age of 82. She was buried in the church at Fontevraud next to her second husband Henry, her son Richard, and her daughter Joan, who had died four months after Richard's death.
that's all that I have for you today on Eleanor of Aquitaine, a medieval woman with a fascinating life. I'd like to end today's episode with a book recommendation. If you want a good nonfiction read on Eleanor's life, you should definitely check out the book She-Wolves by the historian Helen Castor. The book not only discusses the life of Eleanor of Aquitaine, but the life of her mother-in-law Matilda, Isabella, France, and Margaret of Anjou. There's a documentary on Magellan TV with the same name, She-Wolves, and it's actually hosted by the author, Helen Castor. It was great to not only read the book, but to watch a documentary and put places and faces with these people and the history that is discussed in the book. Let me know your thoughts. I am always open to suggestions for future episodes. As always, thank you for listening, and I will be back next week with another episode for you. Take care. Bye.